0: Good morning, church. The Bible reading is taken from John 9, verses 1 to 41. It reads as follows. As he passed by, he saw a a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must wake work the wakes of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can wake. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Salome, which means send. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus, made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. They said to him, "Where is he?" He said, "I do not know." They brought to the Pharisees the men who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, "He put mud on my eyes and I was and I washed and I see." Some of the, the Pharisees said, "This man is not from God." For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? Since he opened your eyes, he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, Is this your son? who you say was born blind, how then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know how who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents say these things, Because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you will not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as of, for this man, we do not know where he comes from. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and will you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus said that they, they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, say, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is who he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we, bl- are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you will give no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the world.
1: Let's bow head and heart as we come to God's word. Lord god we thank you for yet another day you have given us to come together as your people lord you know our hearts you know where we stand before you but also lord you know all the anxieties in our hearts things that might be trouble troubling to us because of how broken this world is so lord as we meet here this morning we pray that you will give us your peace you will calm our hearts And help us to listen to your word. Help us to listen to what you have to tell us this morning. And may your word find a fatal soul within our hearts and minds. And Lord, as your servant, I pray that the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable to you. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. We have in our passage one of the seven miracles or signs that John reports in his gospel. In chapter two, we have the first miracle which is the changing of water into wine. In chapter four, we have the healing of the officials which is the second. In chapter five, we have the healing of the invalid. In chapter six, we have two. First of all, the feeding of the multitude and the walking on the water. In chapter 9, we have uh, Jesus healing this man born blind. And in chapter 11, we have the raising of Lazarus. So, this sign in our passage, just like the rest of these six others, is a historical act of supernatural power of God. It's historical, it happened, but it's supernatural because it's not the normal thing that we see. And John is very intentional by calling it a sign like he does in verse 17, because he wants us to see beyond it. The sign point itself to Jesus and what Jesus means to us. What we have in front of us, it's a great and dramatic story. It is one of the most investigated miracles in the New Testament. It's a story of a man who was born blind, who receives sight, but it's also the story of his conversion, how he comes to know Jesus and submit to his lordship. This man born blind is both healed physically as he recovers his sight, but also he's made a disciple. And three points will help us to understand our passage this morning. The first point will be outstanding sign The second, outstanding testimony. And the third, outstanding reactions. Outstanding sign, outstanding testimony, and outstanding reactions. And you will agree with me that the whole narrative is just outstanding. So first of all, outstanding sign, verses 1 to 7. Where it starts with Jesus and his disciples passing by as they saw a man who was born blind. This man never saw in his life. And then the disciples asked these questions to Jesus. Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parent that he was born blind? And Jesus answered in verse 3, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in his life. Let's just pause a little bit here and try to understand this question. So the belief of the disciples and the Jews of the time was that a personal suffering of this kind could only be due to personal sin. And this is what Job's friend accused him of when he lost everything. You remember the book of Job. Job, you must have done something for all these things to happen to you. Of course, sometimes personal suffering can be a result of a personal sin. Let's take an example of a criminal who, who goes and rape uh, people and he's caught and he has to spend the rest of his life in jail. What is suffering is a direct consequence of the sin that he committed. But here in our passage, Jesus holds that the blindness was not caused directly by the sin of either this man or his parents, Instead, it was due to the fallen nature of our world. Remember Genesis 3. After sin came into this world, everything that God created that was good was now twisted, was broken. That's why we live in a broken world. That's why we experience what we experience day after day. The same way God dismissed the theology of suffering linked to sin in Job's account, the same way here Jesus does the same. So the Bible allows general relationship between suffering and sin due to the fall. But the Bible refuses to universalize the fact that a person's suffering is always a result of his sin or her sin. In fact, if you think about Jesus, his death on the cross, the agony that he went through, the suffering that he went through, It was never due to any personal sin that Jesus might have committed. We all know that Jesus lived a sinless life. But he suffered on that cross. So God, in his mysterious and wise providence, sometimes allows his children to go through suffering. And here this morning, you might be going through unending suffering, whether it's due to your personal sin or whether it's just due to the general brokenness of this world. If you have come to trust in Jesus, yes, you will go through suffering because of how this world is so broken. But let me remind you this one truth that you and me need to be reminded each and every time. No suffering takes place outside the sovereignty of God. You need to be reminded of that. No suffering takes place outside the sovereignty of God. God knows the suffering that you might be going through right now or the suffering that I might be going through right now. And he will use it for our good. And this good is to make us more and more like Jesus. And here, I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not saying that it will be easy. Suffering is real, it's personal, it's painful. That's why it is suffering. But the Bible reassures us that we are never alone when we go through suffering. Jesus is with us. He understands the pain that we might be going through right now. It is painful, but God will use it for good. So verse 3 tells us, that the main point of Jesus' encounter with this blind man was for God's work to be displayed in his life. So God will sometimes use the suffering that we go through so that we can experience his mercy and his power. And this is what happened in this encounter here in John chapter 9. Jesus used the suffering of this man to teach us about faith and to glorify God. So, a suffering is never wasted if you've come to trust in Jesus and in God. And then Jesus operates this outstanding sign by giving sight to this man who was born blind. And how does he do that? He mixes dust and saliva, which is a reminder of how God created Adam. And some theologians say that Jesus, who is the creator, is now recreating again, he's giving life. So he makes a mud pack and then he anoints this man's eyes. He asks him to go and wash in the pool of psyllium and the man comes back seeing. Wow, what a great miracle. What an outstanding sign that Jesus has just done. And the question is, who is this man who does such a miracle? A great miracle. An outstanding sign by Jesus, a man who never never saw his entire life, suddenly can see. Can see people, can see everything. You know, we take seeing as for granted because we see. But if you try to put yourself in the shoes of this man, it has been dark his entire life. Suddenly he can marvel at God's creation. It's just an outstanding sign that Jesus has just operated in the life of this man. Our second point, outstanding testimony, point one, outstanding sign. Three interrogations take place in this story here. And I want you to notice how the healed man is simple, honest, straightforward, and direct in his answers. So before the interrogation starts, the neighbors are astonished to what they see. In verse 8, is this not the same man who used to sit and beg? Some say, yes, it is. Others, no, but he looks like him. But see what the man says I am the man. This is me. Verse 10 Then how were your eyes opened? Well, verse 11 the man says, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went, I washed, and I received my sight. And they ask him, So where is this man? Verse 12, I do not know. Of course he doesn't know. He never saw Jesus his entire life. They only happened to speak together. So the neighbors are not sure if it is the same person they used to see sitting and begging. Then they bring these matters to the Pharisees who were the, uh, the religious leaders of the time because they need, to, they need some help to understand what has just happened in front of their eyes. And the first interrogation comes from verse 13 to verse 17. And this is between the Pharisees and the man who was healed. So this man explains to them how he came to see. We learn from verse 17 that a miracle took place on Sabbath, which rings an alarm because for the Pharisees, Jesus has broken another rule. He's broken the tradition. And here, at least on two points. First, one, healing on the Sabbath. Jesus is not supposed to heal on Sabbath. Second, the making of the mud. So for the Pharisees, one of their laws forbade people to mix whatever it is. If it's clay, if it's dough, you're not supposed to do that on Sabbath. But Jesus has done it again. So now the Pharisees are divided. Because some say, clearly this guy is a sinner because he's breaking the law of the Sabbath. But others are saying, how can a sinner perform such a miraculous sign? One can see that something is happening between them. They are really perplexed. They need to understand what is happening. So they say to the blind man who has just recovered his sight, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened, after all. So what do you say? And see what the man answers. Well, he is a prophet. And this is the highest designation that he can say at this point. He doesn't know much about Jesus, but just because of what he did, this guy must be a prophet. And then the second interrogation from verse 18 to verse 23. This is not between the Pharisees and the parents. The Pharisees want to make sure that it's not a case of mistaken identity here. So they need to check with the parent. Verse 19, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? What happened? And verse 20, the parents answer, we know that this is our son, of course. And that he was born blind. But how he now sees? We do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Well, he is here. Ask him. He is of age. He can speak for himself. And John adds a critical detail here, verse 22, which is very important to notice. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. And by Jews, he means all the Jews' leaders For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So the Pharisees were the responsible of the synagogue. So the synagogue exclusion was in their hands. So you can imagine in this deeply religious society, exclusion had frightening implications because you will use your social and financial abilities to, to earn your living. You Now you understand why the parents, they didn't want to get themselves involved too much into this issue. They knew. They just said, well, he is of age. He is an adult. He can speak for himself. All that we can tell you, he is our son and he was born blind. Third interrogation, verse 24 to 34. Once again, this is between the Pharisees with the men for the second time. And here it is becoming clear now that the Pharisees are attempting by all means to have, this, uh, to have the men incriminate Jesus. Verse 24. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And what they mean here, it's not really what it sounds. What they are saying to this man is saying, show that you recognize the truthfulness of God by admitting that this prophet of yours is a sinner who keeps breaking the law. So that's what they are asking him to say and to confess in front of everyone. But what is the man's answer? Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. What a great testimony from this man. You can feel the pressure that he's going through. This man used to be a beggar, an uneducated man, sitting for his entire life, begging. The more they are asking him questions, the more He's drawing closer to Jesus. He's just saying, stating the fact. All that I know, I was blind, but now I see. That's all I can tell you. So the man is not ready to compromise about what has happened. And the Pharisees moved on now to establish just what Jesus did. Verse 26, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, guys, I've told you, you don't want to listen. Why do you want to hear it again and again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And you can see the man is already somehow counting himself as Jesus' disciple. Do you also want to become his disciples? In verse 28 and 29, the Pharisees, they are angry, they are not happy. You are this fellows' disciple. We, Pharisees, are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this man, we don't even know where he comes from. And the way they are speaking to him, they are speaking in a very despising way. They are not happy. You see, the problem with the Pharisees is how they viewed and made use of the law. Of course God gave Moses the law. So they were committed to the 10 commandments. They even added extra laws that will help them to keep the 10 commandments. So they were committed to them. But the problem is they overlooked Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2, which is the context in which the law was given. I am the Lord your God who saved you out of the slavery. Therefore This is how you are to live. So they omitted this context in which the law was given. For them, it was just a matter of I do this and I do this. Forget about the context. But the law was given in a very specific context. It was a way of life for those who belong to God on the basis of the mercy of God, on the basis of his grace. And because of that, because of the way the Pharisees looked at it, they developed a religion of merit. It's all about what I do, what I perform. That's how I draw near to God. That's how I draw near to the Creator. How I keep the law. So for them, they would see the coming of the Messiah in these same lenses. Jesus would be someone who would align with them, with the laws that they are trying to, to obey. But you can see the speech that this man who was healed made. It was both naive but acute at the same time. So he rejected and overturned all their arguments completely. Now in verse 30 and 33, this man is like, wow, this is really amazing. You do not know where this man comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So you can notice here that the man is firm in his conviction about who Jesus is. And Jesus could not be a sinner that they are claiming, but he must be a worshipper of God, the one who does the will of God, the one who is of God. This is what this Jesus is. As he said, that the Pharisees are now frustrated with the man, And what do they do? They throw him out. Verse 34. And since this has been like a type of trial where they are asking him questions, they want to find out His expulsion points to a more absolute exclusion. In fact, the very thing that the parents were worried about, the synagogue exclusion. And that's what this man is going through. First point, outstanding signs. Second, outstanding testimony. Third, outstanding reactions. So Jesus is saying in verse 5 that he is the light of the world. And remember the background here is the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacle, which reminds Israel God's faithfulness in the desert. So this feast revolves around ritual dance with light and water taken from the pool of Siloam. So what Jesus is saying here is saying that he is the one who brings the light into this world. In other words, when he says, I am, he's just saying, I am God. I am the one who brings light into the darkened heart. I am the one who is sent by God to heal. And the people who knew the scripture, they knew that this was one of the prophecies that were being fulfilled. That one from God will come and heal God's people. And Christ alone puts the light of God in human hearts. And then we see four different reactions here to Jesus, who is the light and brings light to our hearts. First of all, we look at the neighbors. They reveal surprise and skepticism. When they see the man. surprise, surprise, this man sees, but we're still skeptical. We don't know what happened. That's the neighbors. Let's now take him to the Pharisees. At least these are religious leaders. They can help us to understand What's the reaction of the Pharisees? Disbelief and prejudice. You know, one would have thought that on this day, very special occasion, Jesus has just given sight to a man who was born blind, who never saw his entire life, who is now able to see. One would have thought that it would would have been a day of rejoicing, celebration of what Jesus has done, or what God has done through Jesus. But that was not the case for the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they had a reverence for the scripture. They were pious in their behavior. They would give sacrificially to God's work. They would know the scripture very well. And yet, you find them among the instruments that the devil used to destroy Jesus. And while the irony is that these same Pharisees are not a bread that has disappeared. When I look at my life, when you look at your life, every time when we are more concerned about keeping the law instead of loving our neighbors, we are living like the Pharisees. Every time when our dear brother or sister falls into sin, and we are ready and quick to criticize him or her instead of lovingly pointing him or her to Christ, we are no different from these Pharisees. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and for you, Christian work has just become a routine. You wake up on a Sunday, oh, what's, uh, what's the menu for the Sunday? Well, people go to church, let's take this box, and then come back home and continue with life. You know, every time when we do that and we lose the sense of joy in the grace that God has given us, which is the only way for us to know Him and to live for Him, we are just living like the Pharisees. When we lose the sense of joy in rejoicing when we meet with other believers, when we fellowship with others, we are no different from them. You see, without grace... This free gift from God that saves a wretch like me. I am no different from the Pharisee. You see, the Pharisee, they studied the scripture. They knew from the scripture that it is clear that the human heart is sinful, which includes their hearts as well. But they did not understand how deeply infected they were with sin. So what did they do? They found ways of showing externally that they have dealt with the sin. Meanwhile, internally, they have never dealt with the darkness of their heart. They were happy with what they were doing. They were satisfied to show out that, you know, we keep the law. Meanwhile, in their heart, it is rotten. That's why each and every time Jesus will call them, you hypocrites, That is why they could say, we see to Jesus, who is the light of the world. Meanwhile, they are becoming blind. You remember in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 18, verses uh, 9 to 14, when Luke tells us the parable of the two people who went to the temple to pray. One of them was a tax collector, another one was a, a Pharisee. And how Luke introduces that, uh, that parable, he says, to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. In other words, to those who could say we see or we have received sight, meanwhile they have not. Luke tells this parable. These two people went to the temple. The Pharisees stood in front of everyone and they starts praying, thank you God that I'm not like this tax collector. I give my tithe, I pray every day, I, I, I do, I do, this is, this is me. Thank you, Lord, because I'm not like those other ones. There, we know them. But the tax collector in the back on the corner, he could not even lift up his eyes to God, but was beating his chest and saying, Lord, I am a sinner, have mercy on me. And Luke Luke tells us that when they left, the tax collector was justified before God. Why? Because he acknowledged his nature. He's a sinful person and he wants to deal with the sin in his heart. And in our story, we can see how these Pharisees, they refuse to see the light. They refuse to acknowledge the sinful in their hearts. Look, verse 16, what did they say? Jesus is not from God. Verse 18, they question the miracle. Did it really happen? Verse 24, they speak of Jesus as a sinner. Verse 29, they are shown to be ignorant about Jesus. And of course, verse 49, 41, they are pronounced to be blind and sinners. So it is all possible to claim to see But to be blinded because of a refusal to come humbly to Christ, who is the light of the world. The Pharisees who insisted that they saw, they became progressively blinded by the very light that would have given them sight. And whenever Christ and the gospel come to the world, Judgment has been anticipated to the response to Jesus. Those who accept the light, they are forgiven. But those who reject the light, of course, they've been judged. And the ground for receiving sight from Jesus and for growth is to acknowledge how dark and sinful our hearts are. Coupled with the desperate need for Jesus, who is the light of the world. That's how we receive sight from Jesus. When we acknowledge how sinful we are, how dark our hearts are, with the desperate need for this Jesus, who alone is the light, who can give light to our hearts. Third reaction the parents. Well, what we learned from the parents, they believed but kept quiet for fear of excommunication. We know this is our child. We know he was born blind. But don't ask us many questions. Just speak to him. He will tell you, guys. Aren't we sometimes like these parents? We fear people more than we fear God. We forget that God is the one who is to be feared. They knew this was their son. They knew how it happened. But they didn't want to give their testimony. They didn't want to say. You know, It's like on the court. Everything that you say will be held against you. I'd rather not say anything so that nothing is held against me. And fourth, the healed man himself. So what we learn from him, he showed consistent growing faith. A consistent growing faith each and every step. The more they asked him questions, the more his faith was growing towards Jesus. So before his healing, the blind man just represents our condition before meeting Christ. We are all blind from birth. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians that we were dead in our sins and transgressions. We couldn't see. We can't make sense of Jesus left to our own. We are born in this fallen world and obviously we have no natural spiritual sight so the blind man represent the fallen humanity suffering in the darkness of ignorance and sin without any hope of salvation. That's what he represents when he is blind. But this man also shows us the way of salvation, which is turning from blindness and darkness of heart to Jesus, who is the light of the world. That's how we receive light. And for this to happen, something supernatural needs to happen. Your eyes, my eyes need to be opened and your mind needs to be penetrated with the truth of God as it is in Jesus Christ. A supernatural thing needs to happen for your eyes to be be opened and only Jesus can do that. That is why we ask him to open our spiritual eyes because we cannot do it. I cannot do it. But whenever we encounter him in his word, we ask him, please, Lord, open my eyes. I can't see you. I want to see you. And you can notice the growth in insight on this man who was healed. Verse 11, what he can say is that he can only say that the man they called Jesus. That's all he can say. He's the one who healed him. And then moving to verse 17, Jesus becomes a prophet. And that was the highest designation he could say about him. When we move to verse 30, he identifies Jesus as the one who opened my eyes. It's becoming more personal. Verse 33, he is from God. Of course, he's not from God. He could never have done such a miracle. And finally, verse 38, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Faith is a journey towards Jesus up to the point of commitment to him as Lord. It's a journey. And we pray that God will help us in that journey to continue to learn and to grow in the love for Jesus. Not only he received a physical sight, he also received a spiritual sight. He was converted he became a disciple of Jesus. But this man also shows us the repercussions of coming to believe in Jesus. Previously, this man was earning his living as a beggar. He was sitting there. That's what he used to do. And you can see, even from his answers, it seems as if he was very skillful. He knew how to beg. So he might have been earning quite a lot. But now he is excommunicated, so there is no income anymore. Who knows? You see, Christ can cause division, and we need to be ready for it. Your own family may not understand your faith. They may even oppose you when God does a new work in you. The parents did not want to get themselves involved into what was happening there. Speak to him. He can tell you, leave us alone. We have our life to live. The world around you might be hostile to Jesus and put pressure on you to deny Jesus. We can see how the Pharisees were. But at the end, just like this man, we might just need to give our testimony about Jesus and stand for him. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Hey, that's all you need to say whenever you are asked about, about your faith. After he was sent out, Jesus went and found him where he was. You see, after all he said it down, Jesus spoke to him. He asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And now this is a personal question. This man has gone through everything And now Jesus is asking now him this very personal question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? You see, his answer, unlike Thomas, who was a disciple of Jesus, when they told him that Jesus is risen from the dead, what did he say? Unless I touch and see, I will not believe. But this man, he just asked, Tell me who he is, and I will believe. You see, coming to faith is about Jesus finding us where we are. So Jesus went and found him. So you may be here this morning. Maybe a friend invited you to come to church. Or maybe it's your parents who said, let's go to church. Or maybe you just decided to come on your own because this is your church. This is where you worship. And you want to take this box on, you know, Sunday. I went to church. But now that you have encountered this Jesus, who's the light of the world, the only one who can bring salvation, the only one who can open our spiritual eyes, the only one who challenges our hearts of heart against our sinfulness, He's asking you this same question: Do you believe in Jesus? Will you accept this free gift of grace that he's offering you today which not only opens our spiritual eyes but also renews our love for him? Will we ask Jesus to shower our hearts with his love so that we can once again be marveled at the joy of our salvation? John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, says in verse 1, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. So let's all draw to Jesus, who is the light of the world. On his terms and not on our terms as we ask him to open our spiritual eyes so that we can see him, as we try to answer to this question, do you believe in Jesus? And also as we ask him to shower our hearts with his love so that we can once again rejoice in the joy of the salvation that he has given us. Let's our ahead and pray. maybe just take a few seconds to reflect on God's word that we have listened to and see where you stand uh, before God um, see where your heart is right now and ask God uh, to open your eyes your spiritual eyes if you haven't come to trust in him or maybe if you've come to trust in him ask him to renew your love for him as he showers his love in our hearts. Lord God, we thank you that we can come once again before you as your children trusting in your own righteousness and the salvation that you've brought to us. Thank you, Lord, because you are the only one who can open our eyes so that we can see you for who you really are. And this morning, again, we pray that, Lord, you really open our eyes so that we can see you, so that we can trust in you, so that we can start a journey with you if we haven't done so. And if we have come to trust in you, Lord, we pray that you'll continue Uh, to shower our hearts with your love, Lord, so that we may continue to rejoice in the joy of our salvation. And Lord, as we're about to part our ways this morning, we pray that you'll continue to keep us safe under your care. You'll continue to help us, Lord, to live for you, to stand for you, and to witness for you everywhere we find ourselves. And may this week that we start may be a great week where we We witness for you, Lord. Maybe just like the blind man, we'll just be able to say, one thing I know, though I was blind, but now I can see. And what we see is we see you for who you really are, as the Lord and the Savior. And Lord, we pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will keep us safe. This week, we are starting until when we will be with you face to face. For your glory we pray all this. Amen.